If you would, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 43. That is our text this Lord's Day as we continue uh, to walk through God's Word together. Uh, If you've not been with us as we've been walking through Genesis, we have come to a point in God's Word in this text that's looking at the life of Jacob and his descendants and following along a bigger storyline that's been there since creation of of a Redeemer that was going to come through the offspring of Eve that would crush the head of the enemy. It's a a forecasting of the Gospel. And we see each chapter in Genesis is part of that bigger Gospel story. And what we've been looking at in recent weeks is how, as part of that Gospel story, God uses pain and suffering. He uses suffering in our lives to, to bring Him glory. Ultimately, we've seen that in the life of Joseph, who has gone through so much at the age of 17, uh, had received dreams and visions from God uh, of greatness, and then soon after that, finds himself just suffering for years. His brothers, out of jealousy, throw him in a pit. They sell him into slavery. He's a slave there in Egypt, but he, he essentially climbs the ranks even as a slave, as a servant, to where uh, he is in charge of Potiphar's house, and then he's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He's thrown back into the pit, back into prison, and he spends over a decade and this calamity and this suffering until God uses a dream that he gives the Pharaoh, a dream that only Joseph can interpret, to put Joseph in a position of authority and power in Pharaoh's kingdom there in Egypt. Pharaoh, you, Pharaoh has a dream, and that dream indicates that there's seven years of prosperity, then seven years of famine that will come. Joseph rightly interprets that dream. And where we are in today's text is we are in the middle of that famine. That famine has extended far beyond Egypt. It's affected people over in the land of Canaan. And so it has brought Joseph's family to him there in Egypt. They don't know that it's him. They don't recognize him. But he knows them. And what we've started to see unfold is this this big picture of God's plan, essentially for Israel, to bring Israel there to Egypt. What we're going to see today is that while we see the big picture and God's hand over suffering in the big picture, what we also see all these lives being affected and being touched. And we see how God uses suffering in the lives of His people, not just for His glory, but He uses it to change us and to grow us. And so, perhaps this morning as you come to this text, you are experiencing suffering, grief, calamity in your life. Perhaps you know others who are. Perhaps God just wants to use this word to prepare you for a day when you will. But I hope that what you'll see here is that that God has an unique plan for each one of us that that plan doesn't always mean that everything's going to go great for us that sometimes life will be very difficult and very hard but God has a purpose for that we see it in Joseph's life we see it in his father's life and his brother's lives I think we see it in our life as well and I hope you'll see that as we look to this word today so with that introduction if you're able to stand out of reverence for the word if you would as I read this for us Genesis 43, we pick up now after Joseph's brothers have come and purchased grain from Egypt. They've gone home and now the famine continues. This is what the inspired word of God says to us. Now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had bought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again and buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. 
Israel said, Why do you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to those questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge for his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would have now returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits from the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the money with you and carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise and go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother in Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present and they took double the money with them in Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into my house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it's because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us and make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us, and we brought our other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money back in our sacks. He replied, Peace be to you, and do not be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, they washed their feet. And when they had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with him and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about the welfare, their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes. And he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. And he says, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother. And he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and he wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, controlling himself, and said, Serve the food. And they served him by himself and them by themselves. And the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. 
And as they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth, the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. If you would pray with me. Father God, we pray that you would speak to us now through this word. We trust that you are at work among us, Lord, that your spirit will lead us to truth. Father, we pray that you might convict us of sin, call us to repentance, and Lord, call us to a greater trust in you. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I would imagine that most of us have been on the receiving end of some well-meaning person saying the wrong thing. Especially seems to happen when there's uh, pain or grief or suffering in our life and another person, maybe another follower of Christ, they, they want to encourage us, they want to say something nice, but what they mean to do with good intentions just doesn't come out the right way. Perhaps they say some cliche, perhaps they just say something that, that affects us the wrong way. In preparation for this sermon today, I actually was putting together a list of some of those things we say, meaning well, but don't come out so well. But then I thought, you know, by the time I get through with this list, it'll probably cover things that most of us in this room have said, and everybody will be so offended, they'll get up and leave. Uh, and then I thought as I read the list, you know, I, I've said these things myself. We, 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 we say things sometimes without really thinking, and, and oftentimes what I think we do is we see someone suffering, someone hurting, and, and we just want to make them feel better. But I think sometimes we say things not so much just to make them feel better, but because we think, well, if they feel better, we'll feel better. It's kind of uncomfortable to be around people when they're, when they're hurting, when they're suffering. So we either say the wrong thing, or, or on the other end of the spectrum, sometimes we just don't say anything at all. I've heard many times as a pastor, people say, I, I just didn't know what to say to this person. I just didn't want to say the wrong thing. So rather than say the wrong thing, we just say no thing. And I don't know that that helps much better than saying the wrong thing. Because what we need to learn to do is speak to people and, and say things that, that God has taught us to say through His Word. What we need to do is go to people in their suffering and their pain and in their grief and share with them what God's Word would say to us. But the reality is... Most of us don't know what that is. Most of us wrestle with the questions of why does God allow suffering to begin with? We wrestle with the questions of God, if you really, really love us, then why are you allowing this? And in that wrestling, if we don't come to the Scriptures and reconcile that and understand it, then we don't know what to say to others when they are suffering. We've gotten far enough along in our study of Genesis to to see this big picture and to be able to say, okay, God has a purpose for suffering in His sovereign plan. But what we see as we continue in it is in that big plan, He is working specifically in individuals' life and He is using suffering not only for His glory, but also for the work that He wants to accomplish in their lives. And so I hope today... If you've ever wrestled with that question, if perhaps you're wrestling with it now, God, why this, why this, why this? That, that maybe you won't leave with all the answers, but I pray that you and I will leave at least with the right direction to pursue to find those answers, which ultimately is always God's Word. And so as we turn to it, as we look to it today, as we look to Genesis 43, and we think about this issue of suffering, the first thing I want to point out that we learn here 
is number one that I put there in your notes. God uses suffering to sanctify His people. There is a purpose for suffering, and God uses that in our lives for our sanctification. Now, that's a big word. We might not use it that way so much. But basically, to sanctify means to purify, to cleanse, to make holy. And what we see in God's Word is that when God reaches down and saves us, when we respond to the Gospel through faith and repentance... God doesn't just leave us in that place we're at when He saves us. He sanctifies us. He purifies us. So if you look back on your life, whether it was five days ago or five years ago or 50 years ago that you first heard and responded to the gospel of Jesus, your life should look different now than it did then in regards to your sanctification. You should see areas where God has purified your life. You should see sin that doesn't look like it did then. You should be able to look back and say, man, God's really done a work on me. And at the same time say, God still has a lot of work to do. Because in His process of making us more holy, we still struggle with sin. And will until the day of our glorification in heaven. But what God tells us is there's this sanctification process. And one of the things we see is that God specifically uses suffering in our lives to rid us of sin and to purify us. We see this as we look here in chapter 43. We're reminded that it's not just Joseph who is suffering, but many others are as well. Chapter 43 begins by telling us now that the famine was severe in the land. We've already talked about how this famine that came was like nothing that had ever happened before. And it had spread out beyond the borders of Egypt to affect surrounding areas. And one of those was the land of Canaan. In the land of Canaan, you have Jacob's family. And as we've learned about Jacob's family, God had greatly prospered them. In fact, around every turn, when it seemed like things weren't going to work out, Jacob continued to prosper. And so when Jacob returns to the land of Canaan, he's got all this livestock, all these servants, all these resources. And chances are, Jacob had never experienced, and his family had never experienced, Anything like this famine that the Scripture tells us was severe in the land. That, that word severe means it was, it was burdensome, it was oppressive, it means it, it was a pressure on them all the time. Now you think for a second of what that would have been for Jacob. Here's a man who had a huge family, had all these resources, all this wealth God had blessed him with, and he's gone from that position to a point where his children, his grandchildren, probably coming to him every day and saying, Daddy, Granddaddy, we're hungry. We don't have anything to eat. We're hearing more and more stories of people around us who are just dying. I mean, you think about that for a second. If you've ever had a child, a grandchild, that you had to take to the hospital for a surgery, you know that procedure where... They tell you ahead of time, okay, they got to stop eating at this point, and they can't drink past this point. And, and so you know, especially if you have little kids, you really want that 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 8 a.m. surgery. <laughs> you don't want that 2 in the afternoon surgery because you know they're not going to be eat that whole time. And if you've ever been in the car with them, you know what it is. As you're passing by the McDonald's and Burger Kings, and they're looking out the windows. Daddy, Mommy, I'm, I'm hungry. I want something to eat. 
and you really want to give them something, but you can't, and it kind of turns on you a little bit, well, that, that's a few hours. Imagine what most of us have never experienced. If there was real, legitimate hunger and famine in our land, and there was no food to be found, and there were no groceries to buy, and your kids were coming to you saying, we want to eat, and our stomach hurts, and can you get us some food? You think of what that was like for Jacob, who once had so much. You think of what that was like for his sons, Judah and the others, who at one time had so much. And you begin to see the picture of the suffering they're going through as their kids, their grandkids are coming to them. Specifically, you think about somebody like Judah, who the text mentions here. How many times he was probably woken up at night by his kids just, just wanting something to eat. And so it's not just Joseph who had suffered now, all these people are suffering, and yet God is doing something through that suffering. You think about Judah for a second. Think of what you've learned about Judah so far. We see this picture of Judah back when Joseph is sold into slavery. If you remember, Judah's the one where when the brothers throw their, their brother Joseph into the pit just to kill him, Judah's the one who says, you know what? We can make some money off of this. <laughs> Why should we just kill him and not profit? Let's sell him to these slave traders and then we'll make money off of it. Judah's the one who looks at the suffering of his brother and says to himself, how can I profit off of his pain? Now some people look at Judah and say, well, he wasn't that bad. Maybe he was just trying to save Joseph's life. But Then we get a bigger portrait of Judah in Genesis 38. If you were here for that sermon, if you've read that text, it's just a mess. It's one of those chapters of the Bible we read and we go, Lord, why is this even here? It's just this sickening tale of one man who pursues a pagan people in a pagan land and Judah goes down there and he marries among these pagan people and all these terrible things happen and then in the end of it, he's in this immoral relationship with his daughter-in-law who he thought was a harlot and you read it and you're just like, what in the world? By the time you get to the end of Genesis 38, you go, it'll be okay if we don't hear any more about Judah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm done with Judah. There's some other brothers we can read about. And yet, God wasn't done with Judah. And then you see here in chapter 43, a very different picture of Judah. He's the one who comes to his father and says, Father, we've got to go back to get the food, but to go back to get the food means we've got to take Benjamin with us. And if you remember last Sunday, Genesis 42, it ends with Israel, Jacob, saying, You're not taking my son down there. I've already lost two sons. I'm not going to lose another. Because Joseph had kept Simeon back and he perceived Joseph as gone. But now you have Judah saying to his father, Listen, I'm not going to give you the deal that Reuben gave you. If you remember Reuben, what he said when, when his father was concerned, he said, okay, Dad, well, if, 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 if these two brothers die, well, here, you can have my two sons. And you've got to thank for Reuben's sons. Well, thanks, Dad. <laughs> no, Jake, uh, Judah says what? Judah says, give me the boy, and I'll take him with me, and his blood is on my hands. And, and if something happens to him, it's on me forever and that sounds like a different guy i mean judah looking at the pit at his brother joseph says i think i can make some money off of this and now judah has suffered 
And God's done something in his life. And he's looking now, rather than thinking about himself, he's thinking about others. And he's saying, you know what? I will go. I will lead. And if something happens to Benjamin, take my life from me. What happened? Maybe there's two Judas. (laughs) I don't think that's the case. I think the two Judas are one Judah, but it's the old Judah and it's the new Judah. And God has changed his life because that's what God does with us. And God uses suffering in a special way to sanctify us, to change us in a way that nothing else seems to do. See, when we suffer, we are stripped bare and we are taken to our core and we find out what's really there. We, we find out how much faith we really have. I've said it many times. It's, it's not hard to speak of faith when you're in the end zone and you're getting the trophy, and you're the winner, and you're getting a paycheck, and to say, yeah, I've got faith. <laughs> Look how great my God is. But when you're in the pit, when your family's starving, when you've lost everything, well, that's a whole other place to then say, I've got faith. Look how strong my God is. But it's in that suffering that God sanctifies and purifies and deals with us, because oftentimes it's in that suffering where we see our sin the clearest. See, when things are good, we tend to be good. When things are well, we tend to be well. When things aren't so good, we find out what's really there. So you think about times in your life, I think about recent times in my life where where there's grief, where there's suffering, where there's things going on. Maybe you're not getting sleep. Maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe you're stressed. Tend to be a little shorter with other people. Tend to lose your temper, tend to say some things that later on you wish you hadn't said. And what we typically do with that is we say, oh, well, they were tired. Oh, well, they didn't really mean it. What we need to say when we do that is, Lord, you're showing me my heart. And you're showing me how dark it is. And you're showing me how close I am to just jumping right overboard. And Lord, would you purify me? Lord, I've lost it with my kids yet again. That's not because I haven't gotten enough sleep. That's because I'm a sinner. And Lord, would you purge my heart of that? And that is a work that God does in a special way when we suffer that we don't see in any other way. And we see evidences in people like Judah of changed people. And then we can understand what the Scripture says. For example, in James when he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when... When you meet trials, and you're thinking, what? (laughs) Joy? Trials? Suffering? But then you see, in those trials, in that suffering, God is at work, and He is purifying us for Himself. It's not just that work He does. We also see that God uses, point two, suffering to call His people to trust in Him. When we suffer, when we experience loss, when we grieve, when we go through pain, God uses that to bring us to a point where we ultimately have to decide, will we trust in ourselves or will we trust God? You see, it's not just Judah who has changed. There's also been a great change between Genesis 42 and Genesis 43 in Jacob and Israel. Think of what happened in Genesis 42. You have this father who blames himself for the loss of Joseph. He sends his sons to get food. They come back. Now his other son, Simeon, is gone. And now they say to him, Oh, we want to take another one of your boys with us. We want to take Benjamin down there. And we've talked about how in the text, Benjamin had a special place in his father's heart. And so how does Jacob respond? He says, You're not taking Benjamin. 
In fact, look at what he says in chapter 42. The last verse. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you're to make, you will bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. He is speaking there of hell, of Hades. And I don't think he's saying, I will lose my eternity over this. I think what he's saying is this. If Benjamin dies, that will be the worst Hades, hell, Sheol, I can ever imagine here on earth. We use that expression flippantly. Well, that's just hell on earth. Here I believe Jacob is saying, no, that's exactly what this will be. If I lose him, I've lost it all. And then a chapter later, what happens? Something's changed. Notice, Moses is not referring to him as Jacob anymore. Now he's referring to him as Israel. And he says of Israel that his son Judah comes to him and says, Now remember, we've got to bring Benjamin. And then they get in this little banter back and forth. Well, why did you tell him I had another son? Well, we had to tell him you had another son. But what point does he bring him to? He gets to this point where he looks to Judah and says, Okay, you're going to go. And you and I would expect him to say, take this, take this, take this, but you're not taking Benjamin. (laughs) But what does he say? He says, I want you to take all these provisions. I want you to take the money back that you returned with. I want you to take all this money to this ruler. Verse 13, take also your brother. Arise and go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. Again, are these two different people? I mean, these are drastically different responses. From him saying no emphatically to him saying go. And if you don't bring your brother back, if I'm bereaved then I'm bereaved. Now, at, at this point, has, has Jacob just gone, eh, I don't care anymore. <laughs> Doesn't matter what you do. You know, is Jacob like, like us when we get so worn out with the questions of, you know, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do? I don't care what you do, just go do something. No, there's something deeper going on here with Jacob. Something deeper going on here with Israel. I think God has used suffering in his life to call him to a place where he's going to trust God in a way he's never trusted God before. And that's exactly, friend, what God does with suffering in your life and in my life. He calls us to trust Him. Again, it's, it's not so difficult to trust God when everything's going well. Uh, Mr. Carwile, we've got the results of your tests. They're good. I'm going to trust God with that. Uh Went to the mailbox and wasn't expecting this rebate check or what this was. Look at this. You know what? I think I'm going to trust God today. It's another thing when the phone call goes the other way. It's another thing when you get something else in the mail. (laughs) And at that moment, that's when you learn, am I going to trust God in the midst of this? And it doesn't take much for us to shake our fist at God and to get mad at God, and to say, God, why, 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 why? And that is evidence of our lack of trust so often. What the Scripture calls us to is a place where we will trust God. And so the question for you and me this morning is, are are you trusting God? Am I trusting God? I don't know what's going on in everybody's life in this room, 
I know what's going on in my life. And I know that I've struggled in recent days and weeks to trust God. And I've struggled to trust that God is good and in His goodness has good things when so many bad things seem to happen. And maybe you have experienced that in some way in your life where when the bad stuff happens, you really wrestle and you really struggle and you really question, God, can I really trust you? And you're scared to say yes because of what might happen next. And the Scripture says to us, and Jacob Israel says to us, he is certainly worthy of our trust. But you might go through a lot of pain and suffering in that process. For, for those of you who don't know what I'm speaking of, when I talk about recent days, our youngest child, Caroline, has been through quite an ordeal with a surgery she had about a month ago. And, and if you don't follow our CaringBridge site, most of you may not know that in the last 72 hours, we've made two ER visits to Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Uh, one, because she had an issue with her feeding, and she had this feeding tube uh, aggravator and come up and get displaced. And, and then yesterday we went because she wasn't breathing very well. She got to the point where she just looked like she was struggling so hard to breathe. And, and we were afraid she may have aspirated, she may have gotten fluid in her lungs. And so we, we took her then to Cincinnati. And uh, they, they did some tests and evaluations and x-rays. And what they concluded was that she was having a hard time breathing because in this whole process, essentially, her, her nasal passages are swollen shut. Her, her mouth is pretty much shut. She just can't breathe. And so the conclusion was this. The doctor turns to Sandy and I and he says, okay, we, we think we can fix this. We need to put a trumpet in. Okay. I don't have any idea what you're talking about. Put a trumpet in. You know, I'm picturing, you know. Well, a trumpet, for those of you who don't know, and I don't know if this is the technical medical term, but at least as we refer to it, 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 it's a piece of flexible plastic about that long. It's a hose. And he says, we're going to stick that in your daughter's nose. And that's going to open up her nasal passage. And then he shows it to me, and I look at her, and I look to it, and I think her and I are thinking the same thing. Well, I'd like to see how this is going to work out. Caroline might be little, but she's strong, and she's a fighter. And so there's really no explaining to a seven-year-old Okay, in the midst of everything else, we're going to stick this piece of plastic in your nose, and it's going to make you feel better. And, and so then he, he starts this procedure, and he's doing it. And of course, we're there, and we're trying to hold her and hold her hands. And there's this moment where I look at my daughter's eyes, and she looks at me, and she's saying to me essentially, Daddy, no. Daddy, I want him to stop. And she's in pain. And as much as she can scream, she's screaming and she's upset. And everything in me as a father wants to say, okay, let's stop. <laughs> do you have a smaller trumpet? <laughs> okay. Maybe a flute or something else we can do here. But I don't stop him because I know, I trust. This man's a doctor. This team of doctors in here, they've come to this conclusion. They know better for her than I know. And this ultimately is for her good. And this will help her. And so as much as she is saying to me, Daddy, no, and as much as I want to relieve her of this pain, she's got to go through this pain to get to a place where she's better than she was an hour ago. And let me tell you something. It's amazing what a piece of plastic can do for a child. Because they got that thing in her nose, and within 10 minutes she passed out. And I think she's been sleeping almost since then. She could breathe. She was better. Now when she woke up, she still wasn't happy. <laughs> And I think, again, once she gets this device off and can speak, she's going to have some words for us. But, <laughs> but in that moment, friends, 
I looked at my daughter and I thought, God, how many times have I said to you in recent days, Daddy, no. Father, stop. Lord, would you just take this cup? Would you just take this away? Lord, I, I can't handle this. I don't want this. How many times in my life and in your life have we said that to God? Lord, no more. Lord, it's enough. And in a way that I can't even fathom, even in these experiences, we, we can trust in a holy God who says to us, I have a plan and your pain has a purpose and I'm at work and you're going to come out on the other end of this better than you went into this, but you need to trust me. And, and I don't know if that means anything for you other than you learn what a trumpet is, but it meant the world to me yesterday. It reminded me that God is one I can trust and there are times I don't want the pain. I don't want the suffering. Nobody signs up for that. But friends, it has a purpose. And God is at work. And He's using it for more than just some master plan on a board where we're, we're ambiguous figures. He has a personal way of using each of us and working in each of our lives for His glory and of building within us in our time of suffering and grief an opportunity to trust Him. But we don't always understand it. And that's the last thing I've put there and I'll leave you with today. Point three, we, we may not understand the plan of God. And I know this sounds like a cliche, but it's a good cliche. <laughs> we may not understand the plan of God, but we must understand that God has a plan. And you and I might not get it, or maybe we will, but either way, it's there. And you see it here. You've got this picture of Joseph's brothers, and they're returning now. And again, they don't know it's Joseph, and he knows it's them. But, but you look at what they think is going to happen. They don't understand what's going on. And so in their minds, they get taken to Joseph's home, and this is their thought. Great! He's going to beat us and take our donkeys. <laughs> that, that's their best case scenario. This is what's coming. They're looking at that door going, as soon as we walk through it, there's a beating coming. Because he thinks we're not just spies he thinks we're thieves and then you've got joseph who sees the big picture and he's not planning on beating them he's planning on feasting with them he's planning on celebrating with them he sees his brother benjamin and he can't hold back his emotion he has to go into a separate room to cry to weep why we think about joseph Think about how many times, how many nights went by in that dungeon with those shackles on his wrist and his ankles and around his neck, that collar of iron. How many times he sat there and just pleaded with God, Father, no more. Lord, I can't take any more of this. Lord, I just want to be back with my brother Benjamin. Lord, I just want to be with my family. I don't want this. Lord, no more. Lord, you showed me a vision that they were going to bow down to me and now I'm in the pits. Lord, stop. And then he gets to this point where all of a sudden it's like the, the veil's removed and he just, he just gets a glimpse of it, guys, where he looks and he sees his brother Benjamin and he sees this position of authority and he starts to see this plan of God unfolding. Maybe you're there, 
Or maybe you're about to walk through the door thinking you're going to get a whooping. (laughs) Either way, we're both called to the table together and to trust that God has a plan. And that He is working that plan out. And I know that it would be more comforting to say to you, just give it time and it'll make sense. But it might not. And it might not make sense until the door you walk through is an eternal door to heaven. And then it makes sense. But guess what? When we get there, this this image we seem to have that we're going to have all these questions that we're going to ask God, that's not how it plays out. See, God pulled back the veil not just for Joseph. He, He pulled it back for John once. And he said, let me show you a picture of what this looks like. And the picture that he saw was not a line of people with their list saying, well, God, all right, here, I got another one. July 2014. Can you explain this? Now, the picture he says is there's a table and they're at it, and there's the presence of God surrounding them, and they say to him not, what about this, what about this, what about this? They say to him, holy, holy, holy. They say to him, you are a mighty God. They say to him, worthy are you to be praised. And friend, I can tell you, if you're a follower of Christ, that day is coming. And just as we sang this morning, that's why we sing about it. That's why we say so much these things about the, the God appearing and us looking towards the coming of Christ. Not so that we can somehow try to figure out that day or get some prophecy chart, but so that we can just long for the day of being with Christ. And when we suffer, when we have pain, when we have calamity, when we have grief, that we can remember one day no more. And in those times when we're tempted to say, Father, stop, Father, stop, Father, stop, that we might say, as our Lord Christ did, let your will be done. And if your will is that I suffer, then let me suffer. But let me suffer for the glory of God. And if your will is that those around me suffer, let them suffer. We'll let them suffer for the glory of God. And that we might, like Israel, say, if I'm to be bereaved, I'm to be bereaved, but let me be bereaved for the glory of God. See, friends, that's a whole different picture of suffering. And it requires trust. And so my encouragement for you today would be to consider in your life, are you trusting God? It might be with a small little thing that seems so insignificant compared to anything else. But are you trusting God even in that little thing? Or it might be some major life issue. It might be uh, the health of a family member or yourself. It might be something worse than you ever dealt with. It might be just a little thing along a list of a lot of little things. But are you trusting God with it? Now, I'm here to tell you, not just from experience, but from the Word of God, that He is worthy of our trust. And He is worthy of our praise. And He will use our suffering and our pain and our grief For His glory, and He'll use it to change us. That we might, like Judah, like Jacob, look back and say, well, maybe that's who I was, but that's not who I am anymore. And by God's grace, down the road, I'll be different than I am now. But we're not passive in that process. There's an invitation. There's a response, and we're called to make it. Will we have that faith? Will we trust in God? Will we continue to trust in ourselves? Will we hold loosely to this world and say to the Lord, Lord, you do what you will? Or will we hold so tightly and say, no, no. You're not taking this. If you do, my gray hairs will be in Sheol. 
And if that's where you are today, I would call you to consider what God did in his word in the life of Jacob, his servant, and others, and what he does in the life of his people today to let go, to trust him, to repent, and have faith. If you would pray with me. Father God, we ask in Jesus' name that you might call us to a place of greater trust. And Lord, I do not know what plans you have for me or my family. And I certainly don't know what your plans are for every person in this room. But Lord, you have a plan. And I believe we can trust in you for that. And I know, Lord, it's, a, it's an easier message to receive when we say, it's all going to be good and just have enough faith and it'll work out. But Lord, Your Word shows us otherwise. Your Word shows us there's real suffering and real grief and real pain. And so perhaps instead of just trying to cliche that away, Lord, we might take a moment now to consider why it's there and what You're doing through it. And so I pray for those today, Lord, for any here who is wrestling with these questions of, God, why are You allowing this? Why have You allowed this? Perhaps there's some who you're preparing for something that hasn't even come yet that they don't even know is down the road. Lord, I pray we would trust in you and have faith in you and that we would call a lost and dying world to do the same. We pray for this now in Jesus' name. Amen.